The castle of Prince Beelzebub was just off Broadway, not far from the wide gate. From its turrets, his sentinels could see for miles in every direction, on both sides of the wall. In the heart of the fortress, the prince himself passed the days in all manner of self-gratification and indulgence, seated on his high throne while an endless train of meat, various dainties, and every form of forbidden fruit was set before him. In the evenings, and sometimes at noonday, he would stalk about his domain, marking victims for his agents to target, and sometimes falling upon them himself. This was not work for the Dark Prince, rather it was the culmination of the day's leisure. From time to time, though, duty called, usually in the form of a scout or messenger relaying something of note. Reports, updates, strategy, decisions, these things were necessary evils, although they were among the least enjoyable of all evils as far as Beelzebub was concerned. Such was the case this morning. Two impish messengers padded into his courtroom, folding the stretched hide of their wings up behind them and bowing low before their prince, who wiped the blood and juice from his chin and gestured curtly for the two to stand and report. What is it? he demanded. The gaunter of the two stepped forward. My prince, we are here to report that two pilgrims have wandered into Doubting Estate, where they were captured by the giant Despair and are now locked in his dungeon. Beelzebub sat silently for a beat. There had better be more to it than that. As it stands, you may as well interrupt my breakfast to tell me that water yet flows downhill. This giant you speak of captures careless pilgrims. He leeches them of all hope and comfort. He feeds them to his revolting wife. This is the natural way of things. What in this report justifies my suffering you fringe sullying my halls with your presence this morning? The other messenger stepped up next to his companion. Sir, we recognized one of these men, and we were certain you would want to know of his status. He opened his mouth as if to add something else, but then swallowed it back down in fear. Beelzebub leaned back in his throne and studied the messengers until a look of recognition spilled across his face. You too, he said. You brought me word some time ago that my champion had been bested in the valley, did you not? He turned his head to glare at the creature Apollyon, whose massive body was stretched taut against the rock wall of the chamber, a chain pulling him down by the ankles and another stretching him up by the wrists. We did, the messenger said, bowing. And yes, this man Christian, who defeated Apollyon, is the same pilgrim who finds himself now starving in the giant's dungeon. Well, Beelzebub sneered. It seems that the simple brute has accomplished what my cunning captain could not. My lord, Apollyon called out, gritting in pain. Did I tell you to speak? Forgive me, my lord, but perhaps I could vindicate myself by- Forgive you. <laughs> when have you ever known me to forgive? You will suffer there, a spectacle of humiliation for all to see, until I determine that you've paid for your crimes. He turned his attention back to the messengers. Who is this other pilgrim? No one of consequence, my prince. A low-level servant escaped from Vanity Fair. Oh, 
Yes. I had forgotten that this Christian was in our grasp once before, locked securely behind iron bars, yet somehow slipped through our fingers. He stroked his beard and thought. Let me fly to my outpost near Doubting Castle, Apollyon cried. I I will keep watch and assure that- Beelzebub gestured to a slave who cranked the wheel half a turn, stretching the dragon's body all the further and bringing a cry of pain from deep within him. The giant despair is not a tool of precision, the prince mused. He is not clever. He is uh, a cleaver, a mallet. And yet, he rarely loses a pilgrim once they've fallen into his grasp. To the messengers, he said, Return to that outpost and keep watch. Report back any developments. Let us see what these pilgrims are made of. He laughed hoarsely and added, (laughs) As I'm sure the giant himself will do, quite literally, when he picks the meat from their bones. Hi and Silver and Gut Check Media presents The Pilgrim's Progress. From this world to that which is to come. John Bunyan's timeless Christian allegory, as told by Zachary Bartles. Chapter 18 Promise The next morning, the pilgrims awakened again to the sound of a door creaking open. The cage door. Christian's spirit leapt into action, but his body was stiff and weary from the night spent crammed and cramped in the cage. He found himself plucked out and thrown easily over the giant's right shoulder. A moment later, he saw Hopeful dangling over the other, and they were taken up the stairs like two small children carried off by a scolding parent. Despair brought them out of the castle and a few dozen paces further out under the canopy of clouds before dumping them to the ground in a rocky place. He then picked up a grievous crab-tree cudgel and grinned at them. So it's to be combat, Christian said, rising and pulling his sword, only it stuck once again after only a few inches of draw. He jerked on it over and again while the giant laughed. Can't pull that thing here, can ya? (laughs) It's a common problem. Christian then turned to all prayer, lashed to his back. It, too, was locked fast in its place, and he was unable to draw his weapon in the face of the giant despair, who rushed in on the pilgrims and began to beat them viciously. He struck them both with all his might, again and again. Christian cried out in pain, but also in frustration that the giant's strength and his skill in delivering these blows seemed to render his armor useless. The two pilgrims were equally battered and broken over the course of nearly an hour. More than once, Christian thought he could endure not one more strike of that terrible club, only to feel it again and again. When the giant had beaten them nearly to death, he grabbed them each by the ankle and dragged them unceremoniously back down the steps into the dungeon. He then stuffed them into the iron cage and locked the door. Christian almost laughed at the memory of his own grousing and complaining the night before. How uncomfortable the cage had felt when he was whole and unbeaten. The pain was magnified now, perhaps tenfold. Despair's ugly face and stinking breath hovered just outside the bars. This is life for you two, he said. This cage and my club 
I think you know what to do. What are you saying? Christian asked. End yourselves. The giant spat. You have the means. Why endure what you need not endure? <laughs> he laughed as he Why climbed the steps what? out of the dungeon. <laughs> Christian began to weep, quietly at first, but before long it came in heavy, doleful wails. Stop that, Hopeful said. Please, I'm sure it's music to our captor's ears. Christian, if you must cry out, cry out to our Lord. Christian dried his tears and slumped back against the iron bars. If only I'd listened to you. If only we'd stayed on the narrow way. I mean, our feet would hurt, but... Uh... <laughs> A hollow, cackling laugh filled the dungeon. Our, our feet would hurt. <laughs> he winced in pain and fell silent, waiting for Hopeful to speak words of encouragement. But he never did. That whole day, they only exchanged a few short lamentations and wondered aloud if the giant ever intended to feed them or give them water to drink. As evening approached, they fell into a weak, fitful sleep. Despair returned to Apprehension's chamber again that night and reported what he had done. She sat up on her bed, a good sign in the giant's mind, sipping mulled wine from a goblet and twisted her wax-like features up in thought. Will they follow your instructions? She asked. I will only accept them if they perish for lack of hope. I know not. They're broken and teetering on the edge for sure. But I can see the light of the enemy still shining in them. I stripped their provisions from them and have given them nothing to eat or drink. And yet, they seem to have food of some other source. Give them another day to accept their fate, the giantess said. If they do not break, show them the bones. That will do them in. The giant despair awoke early the next morning and prepared some porridge and pork, which he brought down into the dungeon with him waving the platter about to spread the pleasing aroma through the room. The two prisoners awakened and looked longingly, pitifully, at the breakfast. Well, would you like some? Despair asked. Both of them began blubbering. Yes, sir, yes, please. One of them reached his bloodied arms out through the bars, filthy fingers reaching. Despair laughed and tossed the food to the floor. You can watch the rats eat it, but you two... Will never have another morsel of food in your miserable lives. Your tongues will never be wetted again. They will swell in your mouths and fill your throats. He watched as the lion's share of what little hope they'd retained drained away. Why not just end your suffering now, hmm? You've got a blade in there. Make a clean end. Keep some dignity. The pilgrim wearing the armor grabbed the bars of the cage and pulled himself up to meet his captor's gaze. Despite his hunger and many wounds, he managed to look the giant in the eye and say, You may have us in chains now, but you are destined to be destroyed. Greater is he that is in us than all the villains in the world. Why don't you just save yourself some trouble and let us go? Despair felt a surge of rage filling up his massive frame. Oh, let you go, huh? He patted at the sides of his belt. Oh, I don't seem to have my key. How about this instead? 
The giant gripped the cage by both hands and squeezed with all his considerable might. The metal bars complained and then began to bend, pushing the two prisoners closer and closer together. I'll crush your bones, he shouted. I'll make you a- A shaft of sunlight shone down the staircase and caught the giant square in the eyes. He stumbled back, reeling. The sun's unencumbered rays were so rare in this land, much less down here in his dungeon, that despair was thrown for a moment as to what was happening. Then he felt the dreadful effects. The giantess called them his sun spells, fits prompted by the brightest light of day during which he lost the use of his hands. Despair looked down at the useless things hanging by his sides and let out a cry of rage and madness as he rushed out of the dungeon and up the steps. Perhaps he's right, Christian said, when the giant had left. About what? That we ought to put an end to ourselves. I can draw my sword just enough to use the blade against myself. You could do the same. Or, or better yet, your paring knife. Hand it over. Hopeful just stared back at him, in shock. Oh, what hope have we down here? Christian bellowed. No one knows where we are. No one is coming to save us. Hopeful balked. The great king knows where we are. The king who sent Mr. Greatheart to save you from the fair and, and sent help to pull you out from the slough. Yeah, well, we were on his land, Christian said. While we were in the light, now we languish here, in darkness, beyond the wall, beneath the earth. Perhaps, perhaps he cannot see us here, he sighed heavily. God help me, in my heart, I feel that he cannot. And if he can, he must have chosen to hand us over to the giant. A rather disproportionate punishment for us simply wanting a short break for our feet. Perhaps we've been wrong all along. And this king doesn't love us. At the moment, it seems to me that he hates us. How can you say that, Christian? Even here, there are little mercies. Undeserved mercies. Mercies? Oh, you mean no food? No water? Constant beatings and the like? Oh, I don't know how much more mercy I can take. You know that's not what I mean. I mean, for one, that in attempting to crush this cage, our captor has elongated it just enough for us to both stretch out. Christian looked at his companion, basking in the beam of sunlight, legs fully extended, and realized that he himself was still curled up, stiff and cramped. He stretched out, feeling his spine and knees crack, painful at first, but then a great relief. A minuscule mercy, if that, Christian said. More like a happy accident. And, by the way, the only happiness we're likely to know. The life we now live is miserable. For my part, I confess that I'm torn between continuing in this state and dying by my own hand. My soul would choose the grave over the dungeon, I think. My friend, shall we really be ruled by this giant? Hopeful reached over and squeezed his brother's shoulder. Christian, if you do this wicked thing, only then will you truly be ruled by the giant, for that's what he has commanded you to do. You are right that our present condition is dreadful, and death would be far more welcome to me than to abide here forever, but we are not our own masters, Christian. We were bought by a price, and the lord of the country to which we are going has commanded us, thou shalt not murder. And if that applies to slaying another, 
How much more does it forbid us slaying ourselves? Remember, to kill another man is only to murder his body, but to kill oneself is to kill body and soul at once. For when you speak of ease in the grave, you have forgotten that hell awaits all murderers. Dare we tempt God in this way? <laughs> and we are stuck in every sense, Christian said. We cannot live, we cannot even die, and I am back to questioning the love of this king. Christian, remember, others have been taken in by this giant before and have escaped. Perhaps God, who, who made all that is, seen and unseen, will cause the giant despair to die. Or he may take us out to taunt us or beat us and forget to lock the cage. You saw him just now. He's mad for sure. Or maybe he'll have another of those, those fits that we just saw at just the right moment and give us an opening. I am resolved in this. If even the slightest opportunity to escape should open up to us, I will quit myself like a man and strike with all my might or flee with all swiftness. Until then, brother, let us be patient and endure for a while. All right, hopeful. I will endure with you a little while longer, but I am afraid that I will soon be so weak from lack of food or water that even if the giant should turn us loose, still I would die before I reached the narrow road. I may already now be too weak to even climb out of the cage. Then let us pray for patience and strength, said Hopeful. Oh, you pray. I cannot. But you and Faithful sang songs of praise in the dungeon at Vanity. I, I heard you. Christian turned his back to Hopeful. That was a different place and a different situation. This castle, this, this dungeon, is devoid of all hope. Besides, in vanity we had you, bringing us gruel twice a day. Hey, I, I, I don't suppose you have any of that gruel on you now. I'd give all I own for a spoonful. The two of them <laughs> laughed, and Hopeful prayed over his friend. Then he sang songs of praise into the evening, all the while hoping that Christian would join him. But he did not. The giant returned to the dungeon late that night and flew into a rage when he saw them yet alive, although they were barely alive, able to do little more than breathe and moan. When he opened the cage and dragged them out, Christian again reached for his sword, but was unable to pull it from its scabbard. The giant knocked him to the ground and commanded him to stand again. He then prodded and shoved them both down a dark and musty passage deeper into the dungeon. He held a burning torch in his hand, and he waved and poked it at them if they moved too slowly. Finally, they entered into an echoey round room with a domed ceiling. Look here, Despair said, holding the torch out over the center of the floor. The pilgrims gaped in terror at what they saw. A huge mound of bones, human remains piled high like gold in a dragon's lair. These were pilgrims like you, the giant said. They trespassed on my grounds, as you have. I kept them in that cage until I dripped them dry of any hope, or faith, or devotion. And then, when I saw fit, I tore them to pieces. And sometime soon, I will do the same to you. Agony, beyond your worst nightmares, awaits you. Unless you should, uh, shuffle off of your own accord. He then knocked both of them to the hard ground with savage blows and ordered them to return to their cage. 
He tripped and struck them the whole way, then punished them for falling or dragging their feet. By the time they reached the cage, both men crawled back in willingly, if only to make the abuse stop. Think on it, the giant said, locking the cage. He left them, this time also locking the barred door of the dungeon itself. You've nowhere to go but deeper into hell, he called back from the darkness of the staircase. Surely you can see now that he's right, Christian croaked. Oh no, Hopeful said. Do you mean to tell me, Christian, that that he struck you so hard on the head that, that you've lost your memory? What? Do you not remember how valiant you were coming to this place? Apollyon could not crush you. The whole wicked town of vanity could not break your spirit. Even the valley of the shadow of death, you survived. You have faced hardships, terrors, and amazements. And now you are nothing but fears? Look at me, Christian. Well, it's, it's too dark, but... But think of me, picture me in your mind. I am far weaker in stature than you, far newer to the pilgrim's life, and I know a, a fraction of what you do about the celestial land and its great king. I too have been beaten and starved and left in the dark, but I am not ready to give in. We might face death, yes, but such was the case in Vanity Fair, and you did not faint or falter. You and Faithful stood tall, fearing neither cage nor chain nor the burning stake. Let us honor Faithful's memory and glorify our king by bearing up with patience as well as we can. Christian grunted his assent. Um, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> I don't expect to survive long anyway. How many days have we been without food or drink? Hopeful thought. Hmm. Three, three days, I believe which would make it late Saturday night, or early Sunday morning, I know not which. Huh. The, the Sabbath. Let us get some sleep, Christian, and praise our king properly in the light of morning. I don't think I will, Hopeful. There's, there's something I've never told you. When I had not yet come to the place of deliverance, I went into the home of a man called the Interpreter, an odd fellow, but wise. He showed me many wonders, one of them being a man stuck forever in an iron cage, a man past all hope for whom even repentance was unattainable. Well, this cage we are in looks very much like that cage, and I feel very much like that man. Christian, listen to me. You are not that man. You are bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You say, I'm a great sinner, and Christ says, I will in no wise cast you out. But I am a pitiful, backsliding sinner, says you, and Christ says, I will in no wise cast you out. But I have no good thing to bring with me, says you, and Christ, great and merciful, says, I will in no wise cast you out. Yes. Christian said. You're, you're right. I may be wallowing in doubt and despair, but he, he will not cast me out. He will never leave us or forsake us. Let us rest, hopeful, and see what comes in the morning. They both dozed a bit, and when they awakened to the feeble gray light snaking its way down into the dungeon, hopeful seemed a bit off almost as if he were drunk. He snickered and pointed deliriously at Christian. <laughs> you 
What? I see the key. He slurred. We can leave. There's That's the key. Let's go. We can leave. Are you all right? Christian looked down at his breastplate. Indeed, there was a key there, or the image of a key, an inlay of a key, or could it be? He remembered the words Charity had spoken in the armory of the Palace Beautiful. This is the breastplate of righteousness. It will guard your heart and give you courage in facing the enemy. But look here. This is promise. It will help you never to forget the promises of God and may indeed save your life one day. Oh, what a a fool I've been, Christian exclaimed. (laughs) What a stiff-necked, thick-headed... I thought thought of promise as a symbol, merely something decorative to adorn my outer garments and, and rest upon my heart, something for the world to see. It did not occur to me for a moment that it might actually have the power to set us free, and so I chose to lie here in this stinking dungeon when, at any time, I could have walked at liberty. Christian dug his fingers into the breastplate and began to pry at the silver key. It took some time and effort, but it began to move. And as it did, he felt not only the metal separating from the molded leather of the breastplate, but the key of promise itself coming forth from inside his heart. It hurt horribly for a moment, but the pain was swallowed by a surge of hope as the key came free. Crawling over his companion, Christian reached through the bars and inserted the key into the padlock. It turned easily, and the lock fell away. With great difficulty, the men climbed out of the cage and dropped to the hard ground below, grunting in pain. As quietly as they could, they approached the locked cell door at the entrance of the dungeon, and once again, the key turned easily and the bolt gave back. Shushing each other incessantly, even while they leaned upon one another, they ascended the stairs and were met with yet another door, this one leading to the castle yard. Are you with me, Hopeful? Christian whispered. To the end, Hopeful said. To the city. Breathing a prayer, Christian fit his key into the lock of the huge iron door and tried to turn it. No movement. The key wouldn't budge. He tried again, to no avail. Hurry, Hopeful said. I believe it is nearly morning and the giant seems to rise early. Then help me, Christian said. Hopeful placed his hands upon Christian's and the two turned with all their might. The grinding of the lock as it turned was like music to their ears. The deafening creak of the door as it opened, not so much. We've got to run, Christian said. That must have awakened him. The sound of the giant's thundering steps down the winding stairs confirmed their fears. The two pilgrims pushed themselves out into the yard, feeling sluggish and stiff. They were a few rods from the castle when Despair charged out into the yard, closing in on them, his mouth frothing. He was gaining steadily, but still Christian thought they stood a decent chance. They'd seen how the giant was easily winded when he'd marched them here and there over the past few days. If only they could put some distance. Hopeful cried out in pain as a vine snagged his foot and dragged him to the ground. Christian had no choice. He came to a stop pushed Promise back into his heart, and spun to face the giant, drawing his sword. Face me if you will, you wicked son of Anak, he cried out, but it will be your death. 
The Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will leave your flesh for the birds of the air and wild beasts of the earth. I bested Apollyon, and I will vanquish you. Despair drew back for a moment. Then, looking down at Hopeful, he smiled and snatched up the fallen pilgrim. Drop your sword, the giant barked, or I'll pop him like a tick. Don't do it, Christian, Hopeful cried. Christian froze, paralyzed by indecision. Don't underestimate me, pilgrim, the giant growled. You don't know who I am. If, if God is for me, Hopeful grinded through his teeth, then whom shall I fear? Look me in the eye if you dare, giant despair, and tell me you don't fear our king. Despair ceased crushing his victim for a moment and pulled the little pilgrim up to meet his gaze. He was like a rag doll in the giant's massive hands. I don't fear your... Just then, the sun came out from behind a cloud, and the giant's grip loosened. He then dropped Hopeful to the ground, convulsed, and cried out in rage and agony. The handle of Hopeful's paring knife protruded from the giant's bulbous right eye. Blood streaked down his face. Desperately, he grasped at the weapon, but his hands had lost all strength, and he managed only to fall to his knees, shouting in pain. Hopeful caught Christian's eye and nodded. You know what to do. Yes, I do, said Christian. What David did to the Philistine, what I promised I'd do to you, despair, I will have your head. He was approaching the giant, sword held high, when a horrific shriek echoed down from the window of the castle's keep. A hideous face appeared, a giant's face. She was even bigger than Despair himself. What have you done? She shouted. I'll kill you! I'll kill you! Her face disappeared from the window. Despair was running away now, staggering back toward Doubting Castle, his hands hanging limply at his sides. Hopeful tugged on Christian's arm. There's another giant, he said. At least one more. We, we need to go. Right, Christian said. The two of them ran with a speed that defied their aching bodies and empty bellies. In the bright light of day, they could see the path tamped down by so many erring pilgrims before them, and they followed it back to the stile, amazed at how close it truly was. Weakness and weariness catching up to them, they climbed with great pains up the stairs on the one side of the wall and descended the other side with unspeakable relief. (sighs) (laughs) Back where we started, Christian laughed. And wiser for it, not to mention praising God all the more for his mercies. The sooner we leave this place behind, the better, Christian said. But perhaps we should take some time to, to destroy this style, to keep other pilgrims from adding their bones to the pile in Doubting Dungeon. Hopeful agreed, but as they inspected it and assessed their own weak condition, they determined that the thing was too well built for them to demolish it today. At least let us place a notice here, said Hopeful. That's a good idea, Christian said. It took some time, but they fashioned a sign and carved on it the words, Over this style is the way to Doubting Castle, which is kept by giant despair who despises the king of the celestial country and seeks to destroy his holy pilgrims. Be ye warned. They were in the process of affixing the sign across the steps when the same young woman they'd seen fishing along the river of God came walking briskly up the path, a hand on her sword. I know you two, she said. 
But my, if you don't look like you've aged ten years since I last saw you. What was that, a, a week ago? She read their sign and nodded in understanding. Oh, I see. Oh, sorry, introductions. I'm called Lady Daring, and I was sent to see about two pilgrims who wandered over the wall into Bypass Meadow some four days ago. I don't suppose that would be you two? She smiled warmly. It was indeed, said Christian, and I think that explains the extra decade you see hanging upon us. After all, we last met you in the midst of that cool, crisp water and the fruit and leaves of those mysterious trees. I did feel young there. The lady produced a skin and held it out to them. I brought some of that water with me, if you'd like a drink. Somehow it remains just as cold in the vessel as it was running through the river. The two pilgrims took turns drawing deeply from the life-giving water. When they apologized for how much they'd taken, Lady Daring just laughed and told them the skin was theirs and all the water it held. She then produced two of the fruits from along the river and handed one to each of them. Oh, nothing has ever tasted this good, Hopeful said, juice dripping down his face. I take it you've learned something valuable here, she said. Christian nodded. Yes, my view on shortcuts has rather changed. That is good to hear. Then looking from Christian to Hopeful, she said, Well, Christ be with you as you go, and for your sakes and the glory of his holy name, stay on the narrow way. She waved and continued on toward the shining light in the far distance, which was once again visible to them on this side of the wall. The two pilgrims finished their fruit and resumed their work, reinforcing the sign. Yeah, yeah, she is pretty, Christian said. What do you mean? I mean, she left five minutes ago and you're still grinning. It's off-putting. <laughs> I'm just glad to be out of that dungeon is all. Sure, buddy. They finished their work and resumed the narrow way, munching on wild raspberries growing along the path as they went. They'd traveled only a half an hour or so when they crested a hill and saw the beauty of the delectable mountains spread out before them in all their majesty. Wow. I just remembered, said Christian. It's the Sabbath. Yeah, it is. And I can think of no more fitting a place to worship our king than here, overlooking his magnificent handiwork. And so the two men sat down to read from the holy book, to sing the praises of their king, and to thank him for his unspeakable faithfulness, whether in this lovely place, overlooking a breathtaking vista, or in the darkness of the dungeon despair. Thanks for listening. To support this program and for additional content and perks, visit patreon.com slash pilgrimsprogress and or take two minutes to leave an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. The Pilgrim's Progress, From This World to That Which Is to Come, adapted by Zachary Bartles from John Bunyan's classic manuscript. This text, copyright 2022, Zachary Bartles. This recording, copyright 2023, high and silver, all rights reserved. Produced by Brad Atchison and Zachary Bartles. Additional sound effects and music licensed from Pond5.com and Audio Micro. For more engaging audio fiction, visit www.zacharybartles.com audio. Hi, 
and silver. Got you.